If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. The Bible has been accused of many things throughout history. It's been accused of being outdated. It's been accused of condoning slavery, genocide, violence, sexual intolerance. But mostly, the Bible has been accused of having an incredibly low view of women. Am I right? If you've read throughout your Bible, there would have probably been certain moments where you go, that's not lacquer if you're a woman. It has a little bit of a misogynistic vibe to it. And what I want to do tonight is I want to preach on God and women. Now, if you're a man sitting in church, don't panic, because I know what you're thinking. I could have been watching Arsenal versus Brighton, and here I am sitting about to listen to a woman preach on feminism, and I am out the door, but don't worry. Arsenal and Brighton still level at zero all, so you're not missing too much when it comes to the Premier League. But what I want to do tonight is I want to look at two quick case studies. That's it. Two quick case studies that involves women where God does two things. One, he shows his incredible value, his viewpoint, his opinion of women. But secondly, he also, in this case study that we are about to do, he shows and reveals this incredible truth with regards to our value and our purpose, whether you're a man or a woman. And my friend, if God can use a donkey to speak to Balaam, he can use a woman to speak to you. Can I get a hallelujah for that at least? I never get an opportunity to preach like this. I'm going to use it tonight. Okay, here we go. Now, as I said, the Bible has been accused of a lot of things. It's been accused of being oppressive over women. It's been accused of having a low viewpoint of women, but we're going to look at two simple interactions with women in the New Testament, where God reveals his opinion of women, but where he also reveals an incredible truth regarding your value and your purpose. And that is going to be incredible. So this is all part of our celebration of Mother's Day. So remember to call your mom if you have not done that yet. And if you are a mom tonight, can I just say, I know we have a few moms here tonight. I know some of you, hello, hello. Let's just applaud them. Happy Mother's Day. We love you. We honor you. We celebrate you. And just even to all the ladies in our evening service tonight, you are called to mother. You are called to influence. You are called to lead and minister to the surrounding sisters sitting next to you. And gents, you have a role to play in that as well. But we're going to look at two Two quick case studies. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7, where Jesus interacts with what we only know to be called a sinful woman. Don't even know her name. She's literally just called a sinful or an immoral woman. We don't know why that is. And secondly, we are going to look at the women who discovered the empty tomb when Jesus was raised from the dead. So I want to invite you to open up your Bible to Luke chapter 7. We're going to journey from verse 36. It's quite a lengthy piece of passage, 
I'm not going to read all of it, but we are going to go through it together. So let's read Luke chapter 7 from verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Remember the Pharisees, they were the teachers of the law. They were the really important guys. They were the professional Christians. Or in Afrikaans, you would call them a groot christen. I don't know what that is, but in Afrikaans, we speak about groot christene and klein christen. It's like a big Christian and a small Christian. So I, I must be a small Christian, I assume, because I'm not very tall in stature. Anyway, okay. So the, the Pharisees, they asked Jesus to have dinner with them. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And then we get to the really good stuff. So it literally just says, when a certain immoral woman of that city, shame, right? Can you imagine just being called that? Not even called by name. You are just called that immoral woman in town. You have that reputation, you know? This woman heard that Jesus was at this house. And um, she heard that he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So this is already weird. I mean, when last did a total random stranger knock on your front door while you're having supper and they come in and they bow down at your feet and they pour perfume over you and they just start crying? Ever happened to anyone? Because that would be weird. All right. So already this is strange. This is already strange what is busy happening. But what makes this even more strange is if you just consider the historical and cultural context that this was happening in. So women at this stage in history, they did not have high social standings. They did not mean that much to society. They were actually viewed as quite small. Okay. They were not that important. So firstly, this woman had no business barging into a meeting where it was likely only men sitting around the table. It would have been incredibly wrong and inappropriate for her to barge into supper where men would be discussing manly things, right? They're like discussing the church and government and politics and I don't know, the, the score between the, I, I'm so bad with trying to speak about rugby, oh, that like failed immediately. Oh my soul. But this was inappropriate. She had no place being here. Secondly, what makes this even more inappropriate is the fact that she has a reputation. She's that woman. We all know that woman, right? We all know that girl on campus. Ne? Right? We all know that woman in my office, right? We all know that lady in my family, right? If you are that lady, don't stress. Like, we love you. Jesus loves you. You're so welcome in this place. But she had a horrible reputation. She had no right standing. She had no authority or position to even think twice about getting close to Jesus. And in this moment, she barges through the door boldly. She falls down at his feet, pouring out perfume, which they say would have been very expensive. Like, this is not like your, I don't know, what's a, like a L'Oreal Roll-On. This is not that, okay? This is like proper, expensive, probably worth a year's wages perfume that she's wasting on his feet. The Pharisees pick up on this. 
And so I'm not going to read all of it, but it'll be on the screen for you. The Pharisees, remember the, the, the big Christians, they see what's busy happening and they hate it. They hate it. They look at what's busy happening and they say, Jesus, do you have any idea who's busy touching you at this moment? She's that lady. She's that girl. You know that girl. You know what she's done. You know how dirty this woman is. You know how sinful this woman is. If you are even close to who you say you are, a prophet or a good teacher or, or a moral man, or if you are even close to being the son of God that you say you are, how can you let someone like that come even close to you? Jesus, he hears this and he says to one of his disciples, let me tell you a story. And he goes into a story about two people who owe a certain man debt. The one owes more than the other. And then the person to whom the money is owed, he decides to forgive both debtors. Remember, Afrikaans people always go de debtors, right? But debtors. <laughs> he, yeah, I know, Franco, I know, it's surprising. But he forgives both people in this parable that Jesus tells about the people who owe him money. And then Jesus asks, who do you think would be more grateful at the end of that story? The person who owed little or the person who owed a lot, who was deep into debt with no possible way of getting out? And then they say, well, obviously the person who had more debt, right? The more debt you are forgiven, the more thankful you are. If I'm forgiven a large debt, I'm very happy. If I'm forgiven a small debt, I'm kind of happy, right? And then Jesus says the following. He says, that's right. It's in verse 43. Jesus said, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. So you see, Jesus doesn't shy away from her being that lady. He says, her sin, which I know is many. I know her. I know what she's done. I know the kind of lifestyle she's leading. I know who she is. He says, though her sins are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little love. Then he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, what makes this so incredible is because, yes, Jesus is making a statement in this moment about the value of women, all right? He is contradicting culture at this moment because one, culture would not have allowed this to even happen. Secondly, culture and rules and religion would have condemned this woman on the spot. Culture would have dictated that she be thrown out, that she be cast out, that she be condemned for her immoral lifestyle. So, yes, Jesus is making a statement on women in this instant. He is saying, women are valuable to me, but he's also making a statement about you and me, whether you are a man or a woman. And the statement he's making is this, you are valuable to me. No matter what you've done, 
no matter if you are that girl, no matter if you are that guy, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter the life that you have been leading up until this point, if you are willing and have faith in your heart to come and fall at my feet and worship me, I have the authority as the Son of God to not only forgive you, which he does, he says your sins are forgiven, but then he says a second part of that sentence. He says, go in peace. He tells her, go and be free from this immoral lifestyle that has kept you bound in sin and shame. And that, my friend, is relevant to all of us tonight. He says, I value you. I see you. I care about you. And even if culture dictates that you should be condemned, even if culture dictates that you should be cast out, even if religion says that you broke the law and you deserve punishment and distance, I have the authority as the Son of God to not only extend mercy towards you, to forgive you, but I actually also have the power to extend grace to you, to empower you to go and live in peace. He's making a value statement. And it's kind of as if Jesus, he's, he's doing um, two birds with one stone in one sense. Because yes, he is making a statement on the value of women in this moment. He is saying, I value women. They are not smaller or lesser beings in the kingdom of God. That is what he's busy doing. But he's also busy making a statement about humanity saying, I value my children. How does this apply to you and me? Because you might be the broken one. You might be the cast out one. You might be the one caught, bound, shackled in sin, addiction, or pain, whatever your story may be. My friend, there's mercy and grace available to you but you might also be the one on the flip side looking down upon the brokenness of others. You might be the one looking down upon those who are desperate for Jesus and you view them as lesser beings. You maybe view yourself as the bigger Christian and they are the smaller Christian. But the good news is, my friend, there's grace for you too. There's grace for you to discover more about the love of God that can empower you to also love those who are broken. It's an incredible truth for you and me tonight. Secondly, all four Gospels, they make special mention of women that discovered the empty tomb of Jesus. And it's, it's, it's noteworthy, actually, that all four Gospels, because the Gospels are written by different people, they tell the exact same story, but the reason why the Gospels sometimes differ in detail, it's because if, you know, if you're in an accident, but you're like four people in the car, each person will tell the story differently, right? Each, each person will tell the story about the accident that took place, but each person will have a unique vantage point as to how the accident happened, right? And the Gospels are actually very similar. It's not an accident, but they tell the exact same story with the exact same ending, the exact same truth bound within it, but each with a unique vantage point as was their experience. But every single Gospel, 
every single writer makes special mention of a group of women that discovered the empty tomb the day Jesus rose from the dead. Why is this of any importance, right? Why does this matter that they take special mention to write about the woman that discovered the empty tomb of Jesus' friends? Because the resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing in our Christian faith. Resurrection Sunday is more important than Good Friday because Resurrection Sunday capsulates everything of God. If there was no resurrection, my faith and your faith would be useless. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is also useless. How encouraging is that? If Jesus did not raise, rise from the dead, your faith would be useless and my preaching would be useless. So imagine w- uh, this with me for a moment. The resurrection of Jesus is actually one of the most debated topics when it comes to the Christian faith. Why? Because a lot of skeptics believe that the resurrection of Jesus is a hoax. It is a trick to get gullible people to believe in Jesus. They believe his body was stolen. They believe he didn't actually die. He was in a coma and then he like woke up from it. But the resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing about the Christian faith. So imagine with me for a moment, if the resurrection of Jesus were to be put on trial, right? We go to a courthouse and we put the resurrection of Jesus on trial to try and determine the authenticity of it. And you have the responsibility to not only record, as in write, you know, a gospel and record the most important event in history, but also prove its validity. You need stone cold facts, right? You need reliable evidence. You need credible witnesses. And in this time, this moment in history, women had no credibility. They were seen as such lower ranking individuals in society that if you were to put the resurrection of Jesus on trial and use women to make your case, you would fail because they have zero credibility in their society. And guess what? Here Jesus uses women of all people to be the very first ones to not only discover the empty tomb, but to be the primary witnesses to the most important miracle in the history of the universe. Again, God is making two statements. Yes, he is busy making a statement on the value of women. Absolutely. He is saying, even though in this time, if society does not value women, I do. I care about them. But secondly, he's making a value statement and a purpose statement over me and you, whether you're a man or a woman, black or white, English or Afrikaans or Sutu, rich or poor, no matter what. He's making a purpose statement over you because if in this time he can use lower ranking individuals in society to be witnesses to the most important miracle in the history of the universe, imagine what he can do with your life. Imagine what he can do with you. Imagine what he can do with you. If you walk in relationship with him, if you open up yourself to him, 
if you're willing for God to use you, because we have a lot of excuses, right? God, I'm too shy. God, I don't know the Bible that well. What if they ask me difficult questions about the Bible? God, I'm too introvert. God, I'm just too messed up. I don't have it all together. I've made too many mistakes. I can't make a difference out there. We have a lot of excuses, right? But if God in this moment, in this moment in history that we read about in the Gospels at the resurrection of Jesus, if he can use women who at this moment had zero standing, imagine what he can do with you if you yield yourself to him. Yes, he is making two statements. He is saying that even though culture dictates women to be this or that during this time, he's countercultural to that. But on the flip side, he's making a value statement over me and you, and he's making a purpose statement over me and you. Can the worship team please join me on stage? I want us to respond tonight. I want us to respond in one of two ways, because I believe we have two different crowds here tonight. I believe we have a crowd here tonight and you feel very much like the sinful individual that has no place in the presence of Jesus because of what you've done, because of what's been done to you, because of your reputation, because of the sin that you're stuck in, because of the addiction that's your secret, because of the shackles that are around you. And for you, my friend, there is good news for you tonight because God not only has mercy to save you, but he has grace to empower you to live a pure and holy life in front of him. I believe that's our first crowd. Now I believe the second crowd is, crowd is you just feel disqualified. You feel as if you can't really do that much for God. You would like to, but maybe you feel you're too introvert, you're too shy, you're too this, you're too that, you're too young, you're not educated enough, you don't know the Bible well enough, you don't know the scriptures off by heart, you struggle to pray out loud, and now you think of, okay, now I have to go to street store and like do something for God. I can't do that. My friend, for you, there's good news. There's good news for you. Because not only does God value your life, He has a purpose for your life. Not only does He value your life, He has a purpose for your life. Would you stand with me? We're going to respond with just a moment of worship together. And what I want to invite you to is just the following. If you feel that you're in one of those two places, you just feel outcast, not welcome in the presence of Jesus just because of who you are, what you've done, where you come from. Or whether you just feel disqualified for the, the power and the work of God to be done through you. I just want to pray for you. And if that's you, if you, if you are in one of those two categories, won't you just raise your hands with me? Because I'm there. I want to raise my hands too. Because I want to pray for you. If there's someone next to you or close to you or around you with their hand up, won't you just extend your hand to them? We believe in doing church together, the body ministering to one another. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you that no matter who we are, whether I'm a man or a woman, whether I'm black or white, whether I'm English or Afrikaans or Sutu or Twana or whatever, Father, you value us. You value us so much that you sent your most prized son, your only son, to die for us, to set us free. For those of you who are responding to that, you need to hear this tonight. God paid an incredibly high price for your life. He paid an incredibly expensive price for your life because He loves you. He values you. He cares about you. He dreams about your life. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Father, thank you that we can rest securely in the finished work of your son Jesus on the cross that made a way for us to be born again, to be called your children, to be called sons of God. And Father, thank you that you not only place value upon us, but you give us purpose. You desire to use us. You desire to use us to manifest your love to the lost and to the broken and to the destitute in our church, in our office spaces, in our classrooms, in our cities, in the shopping mall. Father, you desire to use each and every one of us. Father, and I pray for those who are responding to that, that you would fill them with your spirit, fill them with power, fill them with your grace, fill them with your love. Fill them with your Holy Spirit that they would recognize the opportunities where you desire to use them. Father, we pray that together in Jesus' name. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.